Kia ora and welcome to New Zealand's Small Business and Entrepreneur Podcast. This is the first one of 2023. We've been a bit slow going, we've been running events, um, mountain bike races and all sorts of other things as well, but we've got an absolute legendary Kiwi, Renee Lee, who's the co-founder of MOX. We're going to talk about her origin story working as the VP for global marketing for Zuru for almost five years and before that SCB. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for waiting. This one is really focused on brand building and you know sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got this thing that you feel like you need to solve right then and there in regards to your business, we've got some tactics to work through that and what works for myself and Renee as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This one's a really good one. Kiola, how are you? Hi Craig, I'm good. How's things? I'm very well, thank you. I'm always recording this from the centre of the North Island. Uh, for those outside of New Zealand, 9% of you in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Where about to you? I'm based in Auckland on this rainy summer day once again. <laughs> mm, yes, it's been rather wet. Although we've had a few good days recently, so it's been good. So we've got to take the sun with the rain. Please. We've got half an hour to crack into this podcast, so I'm not going to waste any time because I've got a lot of cool questions to ask you. And the very, very, very first question is, what's other that you know now that you wished you had known when you first started your first ever sort of like professional business job? Um, gosh, really jump into the hard ones. So. <laughs> um, now, I think what I wish I'd known now and I was probably lucky to kind of have is just the resilience and kind of support network that you actually need to be in business and to be a founder, mm. like especially in a smaller medium-sized enterprise and I mean the challenges that all of us have faced over the last couple of years have been pretty unique and to have people inside the business my partner outside of the business that kind of keep you in it sometimes you know there are times where you want to throw in the towel and then someone can just change your mindset or change your viewpoint and then the next week you get an absolute win and you're like back on track so it's that network and resilience that um I didn't know going in and, and I would say recommend to anyone to kind of build that support network as you go into entering into business. Before I go into the next question, so Mox is a brand that you co-found. I'll talk about that. Like you just mentioned, there are some times, and I get it as well, a lot actually, that you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh, I got, and you start thinking, overthinking, overthinking, overthinking. Have you got any tactics that you think that work really well for your mind if you go into that sort of thinking about things that may not even eventuate? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, Mox is quite diverse. I mean, we have a portfolio of kind of three different consumer brands and they all have presented different challenges because they have different supply models and kind of different distribution strategies and different opportunities have come with them. So they've all presented different challenges. I think for me... I mean, I learned from a pretty young age, like going into work, like I, I was, I'm a hard worker. I can tell you that. Um, I lived overseas for a bit where I probably took that a little too far and actually ended up um, burning out to a point. Um, I was like 24 and, and through that experience, I found um, not like anything like I meditate daily, but I definitely got into like sleep meditations mm -hmm. and just taking a little bit of time to understand how your mind works. And it really actually enabled me to be a, a much better sleeper and the ability to, if I'm thinking of a thousand things before I go to sleep, 
I write them all down so that I know they're somewhere and then I put on my sleep meditation and I'm out like a light. So that's my trick. Maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't, but um, I've found it really helpful in, in the past and, and something I'm really actually grateful that I went through to experience and have that learning. Mm. What I do, and I wake up in the middle of the night and start thinking about all these things, and I used to just like dwell on it, not dwell, but think about my email replies and things like that. And now I'm like just accepted and they'll be like, well, there's nothing I can do right now. And the best thing for me right now is actually be sleeping. So and just sort of let it go. Um, yeah. I've read yeah. so many things. And I guess the the idea that like you've only got to focus on like there's no point stressing over things you can't change. So mm. like focus on the things you can change and then you've just got to accept the others. And that that point in life, like so many times, I mean, we'll be presented with the weirdest challenges or like, mm timelines are just absolutely screwed and you're sitting there with your factory and even last week they were like you're not really phased like is this not phasing mm -hmm. you and I'm like honestly like you just need to take it in and address it and keep moving forward mm -hmm. um and if you take that approach to challenges or as you say like things that are bugging you then they won't keep you up at night hopefully <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and it's a it's like a muscle I, I I believe like I'm still not that great at it but I'm a lot better than what I was at a time. And and there's a philosopher, a Stoic philosopher, who's Seneca. I don't know if you've heard of Seneca, but says no. There's, there's no point um, wasting time worrying about things now that are going to happen in the future because they may not happen. So yeah. worrying, and then when you get to that point and it hasn't happened, what's the point of worrying about that thing then? Because you don't know whether or not it's actually going to eventuate. Just act on it. Um, don't just sit there. Um, disillusioned thinking that it's going to be all fine and dandy if you do nothing you've gone deep gone to stoicism but the next sort of question that I want to ask you is sort of about the Renee um, origin story taking us back to let's go back to your first ever sort of pocket money job and then fast forward to your first career job and how you ended up now where you are as co-founder of Mox yeah, I mean, gosh, do, does selling lemonade on the street or your like old McDonald's toys count as a first job? Because absolutely, I was definitely me and my sister. I was quite lucky. I've got a sister that's only eighteen months older than me, and mm -hmm. I think that definitely made my childhood different. And I guess we were both quite, and have ended up being very driven individuals. And so we always were having different business ideas. I think the worst one was when we. Um, decided to make pulpity, you know, the like um, <laughs> flower, like little packs for your drawers. But we did, we couldn't be bothered drying the flowers. So we used fresh flowers and sold them to all of our um, parents' friends and they all rotted in, in their drawers, <laughs> which was a key learning about getting your product right and product function right. Um, no, but then I had a flurry of jobs throughout high school. Like we were always, I mean, our parents definitely instilled in the value of, of money and, and earning our own money um, into us. And that was great because we went from, you know, cutting boxes at factories when I was 12 to working at Eden Park and just kind of taking on different jobs. Um, my first career job was a great one. I studied marketing and advertising at AUT and then went into an ad agency in media here called Draft FCB. Well, I think it's called FCB now. Um, yeah. and, and media and advertising was such a fun, fun industry to be in when you're young and coming out of university and just getting to 
experience the whole idea of creating brands, the environment of, of branding within New Zealand and kind of working on these really cool New Zealand brands and all the kind of fun events and everything that came with that. Um, but, you know, and then I kind of progressed my advertising and marketing career to a point where, you know, I had a dream of being a global marketing manager one day and and had achieved that by the time I was um, 30, which was just incredible. I mean, that came with some hard work and taking the right opportunities at the right time. Um, and then, you know, when you get to 30, you go, wow, I um, should probably maybe try something. This little inkling had been in my mind of, of starting my own business. I thought I was going to go start a marketing consultancy business. Um, and boy, did that change with like, um, and it's just the universe, right? Like you open yourself up to opportunities and then suddenly things present itself and you've got to kind of pivot on what potentially you saw as what was going to happen. And, and that's when my business partner came to me, asked me if I wanted to get involved in kind of things that he was doing and, you know, it morphed into what Mox has become today. And, and now I'm the COO, kind of run day-to-day things on on Mox Brands, um, which has been very exciting, very challenging, but absolutely love it. Very good. So you, you you quickly skipped over the fact that for almost five years, you were the VP Global Marketing for Zuru. Um, can you just talk us a little bit about, let's say, um, some the, what was the best, the biggest high and the, and the biggest challenge that you had with Zuru? And then we're going to roll straight into Mox. Yeah. I mean, Zuru taught me a lot, right? Like I started there when I was 26. They took a punt on me being someone that actually hadn't worked in internal marketing. I was an advertising agency kind of lifer at that point. Um, But, you know, I was a Kiwi that was open to moving to China to grow a global marketing team, which was um, definitely daunting. But I got Mm. some really great advice from, you know, and I had different roles we were moving back from Amsterdam my partner at that time um, had opportunities here that with Heineken who I'd worked with overseas um, and like media agencies and and my old boss said look out of all these three which one isn't going to be on the table again in the future this one in China is seems very unique so I think you should go and do that and I was like okay sure I'll go to China Um, never been there before just decided to (laughs) up and move my life um, but it was incredible. We grew the team. I was foreigner number five at Zero at that stage. Um, we grew the marketing team from from what was three people to when I left over 40 people across wow. four different countries. Um, and the business had grown like fivefold. So it was just an incredible, you know, belief. And you know, you learn a lot, you definitely worked hard to get there. Um, you got put out of your comfort zone a lot but again that just built resilience in me and you know it was just a really great opportunity to to have that exposure and especially working with the scale of a business the different nuances you come across working across different markets learning the retail landscape so that's really set me up for what I'm doing now um I guess the biggest challenge for me was I left my partner behind (laughs) we did long distance for two years um which I think was great to have his support on that um, but the biggest high was yeah, just seeing the growth of that business and it, for it to become a Kiwi success story and to be kind of part of that and be on the leadership team um, of a company of that scale and to get to work with some really great people was you know, what I'd always take out of that role. So you, you moved into Mox. I read your mission. Can you explain to our audience what your mission is and how you plan to achieve your mission? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Mox's premise and, and was developed out of um, filling a gap for more relevant, more modern and more sustainable consumer goods at kind of mass retail. So when we talk about mass retail, like your grocery stores, your hyper retail stores and pharmacy to extent is turning into mass retail through the likes and extreme growth of things like Chemist Warehouse. Because what we saw is, you know, there's really great innovation happening, especially stuff that is better for the planet and better for people when it comes to innovation and ingredients, safer, more natural products. Um, But they've always, you know, you look at these great brands and a lot of them are niche. um, And, you know, to make a huge difference that we want to make, you've got to get scale. And so when we said, you know, things are staying niche because they're one, either too expensive for mass retail, they haven't commercialized themselves for these mass grocery channels, or, you know, they just haven't, I guess, um, kind of found the way of bringing that to shelves and through the networks that you have. And, you know, my business partner and I had worked with these kind of major retailers, we were able to know kind of how to pitch, how to get in. So it was about take, you know, looking at innovations out there and packaging up brands that, you know, hit on what we were looking to do, where was bring better products to consumers that, you know, actually have a good impact and are shifting away. They don't have to be absolutely perfect. We believe in um, progress over perfection for sure when it comes to sustainability, because if we all just waited until everything was perfect, nothing would happen. Mm -hmm. But we're looking, you know, to remove plastics or can we start um, changing out harmful ingredients that end up in our waterways and things like that and then bringing them really affordably so that these larger retail chains like your Woolworths, like your Countdowns um, can buy in because they're essentially, you know, as much as they say they're consumer led, what's on the shelf drives purchase consumption and behavior. And so we would rather have, you know, a million people use one less plastic bottle than have one person eco warrior not using plastic at all, because it's that bigger change and bigger scale that will make a, a really big difference. And I think, you know, the last couple of weeks, weather events, everything has shown us that like companies need to take a start, whether it be from a manufacturer's standpoint, but also from a retailer's standpoint. Like, And you see some really great things happening at retailers and they're building in KPIs into what they'll buy. And they're not so much about, you know, the instant success of a brand, that, but if they know they're doing good, they'll invest in them long term because they want to change consumer purchase habits into these more sustainable options. Epic answer. I <laughs> <laughs> well, was so, very passionate about and and you know mm-hmm. and even um you know you see brands that and I don't want to um get too negative on it but you see these big corporations you know especially the ones that come out of the US and mm-hmm. like you know we play in the laundry category and you see something like a big branded um laundry brand come out and they've got big TV campaign and they talk about the planet and what they're doing And then their action points are that their bottles are recyclable and that they now use natural surfactants, which doesn't mean they don't use chemicals. They've just added a natural surfactant. And you're like, when when that's what big corporates are taking a stance on and moving towards and investing millions of dollars behind advertising, like we are far away from big enough change. Um, You know, we need big corporates removing plastic from their packaging, stepping away from like chemicals and actually moving faster but it's the smaller businesses, I think, that are innovating, really disrupting. And even if you look at the, um, you know, the FMCG report, a lot of growth in FMCG and consumer goods right now is coming from smaller independent businesses because we're faster to innovate and bringing kind of different products to market. 
Um, because don't get me wrong, I mean, people at those corporates want to make change, but it's really hard to move a giant, giant ship. Mm. And it's uh, and I suppose from that big corporate's perspective as well, it's really easy to hyper um, focus on one little niche that they're doing and then influence a buyer by just looking at the shelf and, oh, look, this they're doing, they put a panda bear on it and it's got some sort of recycling looking thing out on it and they go, oh, well, this is better than that one because they're focusing on that little part, but they haven't actually read what you just mentioned or the other things that haven't changed. Honestly, and you'll be amazed. Like we had a buyer the other day say to us that actually like cardboard wasn't better than plastic. And you kind of didn't want to get into a massive debate because you're like, I'm trying to build a relationship with this buyer. But um, yeah, you can tell they've sat in a, in a meeting where some big corporate has presented that as an argument because someone smart has put together why potentially plastic might be better, which I can tell you there's 20 reasons why it's not, um, especially in, in Australia where, I mean, I don't know if, if you've just seen, but Red Cycle, which was like their soft plastic recycling scheme, and we have that here in New Zealand, um, saw a 350% increase in soft plastic waste in three years and have had to close down because of the extreme waste because everyone suddenly went, oh, I can still use plastic. I'll just move to the soft plastics. It's less plastic, mm. but it's actually you can't like recycle that easily within Australia and New Zealand or anywhere really in the world. And so I think like, you know, when people can find that stats and then bring it into something else, it can really distort the truth and, mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting out there, but we, you know, we're just trying to make incremental change um, through the the brands and products that we develop. Yeah, so going into the brand, so Everblue, Restore, Mason and Muse, are they brands that you've created yourself? Yep. The product we, oh, okay, yeah, right. we completely own, we've completely designed, manufactured and distribute those brands. So Everblue is, you know, a fantastic natural hair and body care brand that, um, we, you know, in that category, it was about getting people to actually overcome the idea that natural, especially hair care, couldn't work as well. Um, so we worked really closely with your kind of leading beauty chemist here in New Zealand to present a formula that actually makes your hair soft and silky and he actually healthier um, from, you know, I guess root to tip versus something that like, you know, your massive market brands usually have things like silicones, they'll use cheaper surfactants. That may feel good initially, but not great long term. Um, so that's been really great for us. And to be developing and manufacturing in New Zealand um, actually really gave us a really strong leg point through COVID because um, obviously supply chains got really, really um, hectic um, for a time there. And so that gave us a nice advantage, which was great. Um, our Restore brand is, is that really innovative cleaning and laundry brand where we look at concentrates. And, and I mean, when your standard cleaning and laundry is... 90% water we take that out to kind of remove kind of shipping emissions and everything that's coming into New Zealand and, and shipping around and then we do a really great range of um, home fragrances that is about um, bringing more affordable kind of fragrances uh, to, to market so people can you know I guess use them more regularly which um, is always a I guess an insight there that when you speak to people about you know when you buy that more expensive candle and burn it like one time per year because it costs so much um, we're really looking to kind of change that up so that's what we're working on we're working on a few other kind of brands in different spaces right now um, but yeah everything's kind of designed in-house managed in-house um, which is really great to see kind of Kiwis get the opportunity to work on brands from a global scale. 
I might shift our conversation because I'm I'm wary of time, 11 minutes, to add value to our audience. So let's say if, and I quite often use a cafe as an example, of like a cafe could, is a brand, right? Or could be, but quite often it's just a cafe. If you're going to give, or it could be anything, it could be a builder, it could be a plumber, it could be a tradie, it could be a, a cafe. What advice would you give someone who's currently doesn't really focus on the brand, this focuses on the doing? And do you think there's something that you, you would do if you were like a cafe owner or a, or a carpenter or a plumber or a, a, a florist that you, you see that they aren't doing right now? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I always see business and, and definitely what I've learned that like, the doing is super important. And if you can't execute um, mm. and if you're not executing and getting that foundational pillar right, there's not really, you know, the need or you're not going to get as much return from doing that kind of next level up branding. Like mm -hmm. make sure your core product or service is excellent before you start investing and, and bringing more people in. But, um, you know, beyond that, especially when you're in like the services business and cafes and, you want to create a point of difference, investing in your brand um, in the right way is so important because a brand is what sets you apart, right? There can be 10 cafes sitting next to each other. Um, your brand is meant to be that instant signifier on one, your, you know, what, what makes you different and your kind of values and belief system. So if you can get people recognizing that in a more instant, quick way, like humans innately are fast <laughs> attention mm. deficit people like we need like these little cues and simplification mechanics to help us even understand the world and, and that's what brands do so um i'd definitely say invest in and, and sit down and think about okay what makes me unique what you know aren't my competitors doing what are small things you know social and digital media has made things so accessible um to small businesses that, you know, there's just some small kind of tips and tricks or little things that you can do um, to start to build that branding and, and have your customers understand why you're different. What advice would you give someone who's trying to, to do that but has absolutely no idea? Yeah, it's, it's always hard because, um, I mean, that space is changing so much and so quickly. So, you invest all this time in learning and then suddenly that's all irrelevant. Um, so I would say, you know, there's some great people out there and, and it depends on the scale of your business and, and what you've got to invest. But if you don't know, I'd say find someone either that does know to be your kind of mentor and guide mm. or work with a team that knows. And I think what's great about this kind of small to medium enterprise space is there's so many little companies starting up, and especially in the social space, that will work with companies really cost efficiently. They kind of become an extension of your team. They're not asking for a lot. Um, you just got to head out and find them. And I think that's great, especially I've seen a lot pop up in New Zealand of late that will do things, you know, just in terms of setting up, you know, your kind of brand guide, how you should interact. And you can still, um, you know, take that over and run it day to day. But someone that's just providing a bit of insight to you so that you don't spend 20 hours trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's better to kind of, pay someone for an hour to sit down or buy someone some dinner or some coffee um, and get the right advice up front. Mm. I think that's a really good point. Having a, not so much a script, how you show up is really important. I've said this before in another podcast, my friend, he's, he's an avid hunter based on, based here in Lotsuru, where hunting, hunting, fishing sort of thing. And he turns up and he's got a hunting vehicle and he comes out and he's wearing gumboots and just looks like 
just hopped out of the forest and we're chatting about how he wants to um, really focus in on doing those multi-million dollar homes. And I was like, well, I know you can do them, but have you, he was talking about what, what his brand should, should look like. And I was like, well, yeah. at the moment, the way you just rolled up here, <laughs> you look like a yeah. hunter. You got carpet on your bonnet. Um, maybe you should have a look at your, your entire brand and what you might, might be perceived from the other side. Um, and yeah, he, and that's, that's so important. Eh? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. what you see today is like brands aren't just the marketing collateral and the product or something that you present you know, on your website, the people actually behind it become just as much the brand as well. And like you see, mm. um, like I was reading the 2021 Breakthrough Brand Report from Interbrand the other day, and so many of them, sometimes the founder is more well-known than the brand itself. And mm-hmm. it's only hard for me, like I'm not one for the limelight, but you start, you know, you've it's actually end-to-end representation and you as the founder, you're colleagues that show up your workers that show up are just as much your brand than what you put on the business card or on the website and so you've got to have that that all aligned oh, jeff bezos what his definition of brand is how people describe your brand when you're not in the room what would your yeah. definition be of, of a brand yeah i mean i definitely like jeff's um example but i yeah to me brands always been again what sets you apart you know, it's that intangible layer wrapped around your product, service, organization that should, you know, to a, exactly to someone when you're not there signifies what you stand for and what makes you different. Um, and if you can always be looking to create that and instill that into your brand, then, you know, you've got something that's really valuable long term. Last question, because I know you've got a meeting in approximately four minutes. What has been the best piece of business advice that you've ever been given? Oh, um, I've been given a lot. <laughs> you um, definitely, when you get in here, I mean, and I love it. Like I love chatting to different people. Um, there's some awesome entrepreneurs in New Zealand and honestly, awesome female entrepreneurs out there that I really like connecting with. Um, but I guess the one that sticks with me the most and that I Um, actually talk a lot to people about in business and life and anything is just this idea um, from that you've got to enjoy the journey not just the destination because that gets you through the tough times and the good because if you're only focused on one goal the you know probably one percent of the time that goal will eventuate exactly how you imagined it and it's that um but if, if you've enjoyed the ride, um, it will be just as good. And, and there's a great writer, I forget her name, but she was in the administration. And you read her book, and it's very American. I mean, I loved it um, from different point of perspective. But if you can get through the American politics, it's a great book. Um, but she called it The Worth It Test. And um, it's about, I guess, making decisions, not just based on where you're going to get to from making that decision, but is what you're going to learn along the way worth it. And if you can stay focused on that, even if things fail or don't go exactly how you planned, you're still going to have a really positive outlook on it because what you've learned along the way has been worth it. And that's always been something that I come back to a lot, mm-hmm. and especially in challenging times like is it worth it? Am I enjoying it because I've got the freedom, what I'm learning, who I'm getting to work with? 
you know, it might not end up exactly how you saw it, but as long as you hold on to that, then you're going to have a really positive mindset. Absolutely. Gary Vaynerchuk says, learn to love the process. Um, you've got to learn to love the process and trust the process too. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's just life in general, right? Like, um, you know, if, if you're too focused on where you're going, you won't enjoy kind of getting there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hey, Renee, thank you so much for your time. This has been a awesome chat and I hope our, I, I know our audience has got a bunch out of there. Um, I would suggest you, um, I'm not sure if you link up with um, Renee on LinkedIn and follow her progress and, and her things like that. And if you want to have a look at her brands, what's your website and where can they find them and what we are Everblue, Restore and Mason Muse ranged. Yeah, definitely. Um, check us out on Mox Brands. So that's M-O-X-X.com. And then that will lead you into kind of each of our brand websites. But we've got brands at kind of con a countdown, Costco here, the warehouse, um, Health Post, and we're really much focused on Aussie. So if you've got any Australian friends, send them to Woolworths um, ASAP. We've got our restore laundry sheets there. We're actually launching our candle range into Woolworths in two weeks' time. So send all your Australian friends down there to buy, um, buy Kiwi. Get it while you can. All right, Renee, thank you so much. Have an epic day. Thank you very much for your time. And I'm going to edit this podcast and get it out today because I haven't done one this year and this is the first one. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you, Craig. That was a great chat. <laughs> um, <laughs> always worried about where you end up going, but I hope, um, hope yeah, your audience gets something out of it. And uh, yeah, definitely flick over a link once you've got it and I'll um, share it across my kind of LinkedIn and stuff as well. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Renee. Cool. Have a great day. Thank you. See you later. Speak to you soon. Yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the first podcast of 2023. Renee was super awesome and very, very, very generous with her time and knowledge. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you could please give our page uh, a like, share it around, rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to, it, that'd be much appreciated. We'll be putting one out once a week from now on. So looking forward to um, getting more and more and more podcasts out there. Share it around, have fun and have a great day.